What's going on, everybody? It's that time again, the All Sooners Podcast, episode 183, on this Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Josh Calvin, Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman, and more. John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Final week of spring ball. Yeah, fired up for the final week of spring ball. Uh, after this comes a uh, come caravan. Potentially. Uh, recruiting camps. Elite 11s and all that other stuff. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a busy week for us at All Sooners, man. It's culminating with the what's gonna be an all day affair at the spring game. We're gonna be there all day. Yeah, from Kyler statue through to the actual spring game, post game, which as you guys know, we we work overtime to bring you uh, everything as as fast as possible in the recruiting weekend. So it'll it'll be an all day thing. Although we say end of spring football, and my brain says. Oh dear, softball postseason's here. That means that means that I get to live under a rock again. Yeah, I'm a little annoyed at the uh, mother nature because it's like been incredible weather the last day or two, and it's really nice tomorrow. And Saturday's not bad. It could be worse. Certainly, it has been worse, but it's only like sixty something. Like it, it's like pushing eighty today. Where is that on Saturday? I need that on Saturday. Very annoying. Very, very annoying, especially if, like Hoop said, all day affair because Kyler's statue is at like eleven thirty, and the game's not till two thirty. So it's a it's a whole thing. So I would have appreciated some nice eighty degree weather, but Oklahoma for you, Oklahoma for you. So, like we said, it is the last week of spring ball. We have a lot to talk about on the show. It's a packed show. We've had guys hitting the portal. We've had commits. We had basketball transfer commit. Literally, as we're starting to record, a lot to to touch on. We've got a packed show for you. Um, but let's start with the obvious spring game. It's finally here. Um, spring camp is coming on. We're at the final week. We had our final uh, post-practice availability kind of yesterday. They they talked about maybe adding another one tomorrow with Coach Venables. Nothing official there yet. We'll see if that happens. But we're on the uh, home stretch here, spring ball. The spring game is on Saturday. All right, guys, we'll open it up. Spring game preview. What are we watching for? What are the players we're watching for? What's the storylines? Whatever, whatever angle you want to take. Be my guest. Go for it. So we talked to Jaden Gibson yesterday, of all people, right? And uh, after practice, and he said, you know, somebody reminded him, hey, he had a 95-yard touchdown in last year's spring game. He said, I'm looking to top that. What? So yeah. we've been talking all spring about, uh, about you know, Mar- no Marvin Mims, no Theo Weiss. Guys with the experience are moving on. They got Jaleel Farouk back, two years experience, really one. And then uh, Drake Stoops, that's their that's their guys. Would I be crazy? Would I be out of line to say that Jaden Gibson might top his ninety five yard touchdown last year in this year's spring game? Uh, that's someone that I think has had a really good spring. Uh, just talking to his teammates, talking to his coaches, you get the sense that that's one of those guys on offense that could be really made that next step. He came in, he talked about it yesterday extensively. Skinny kid. Uh, fast but tall, played way over his pads. Uh, he talked about getting his pad level down. He talked about bulking up and getting stronger and things like that over the past year. So I think he's a guy that, yeah, he did have a big big standout play last year, Micah Bowens on the on the passing end of that thing. But he might be a guy that you watch tomorrow, or uh, I'm sorry, Saturday, and he, he's got six catches for 130 yards. That might be something. That, I'm just saying he's had that kind of offseason. Uh-huh. Yeah, I- we're all going to be watching Jackson Arnold, but as far as like what might actually make it onto the field this fall, for me, it, it's got to be those wide receivers, not just Gibson. I mean, it, if you've listened to this pod, you know, I'm very, very, 
Um, I don't think Austin Stogner is the answer at tight end. Um, if you saw him get cooked in a 40 with James Skalski just uh, on Twitter the other day, him being the only option, he wasn't just this unbelievable performer before he left for South Carolina. And now Shane Beamer is talking about upgrading in the tight end room. If you read the quotes coming out of spring in Columbia, the wide receiver room has to, has to take steps forward and it has to be a couple of guys to do it. Cause I just don't think Oklahoma is going to have that production at tight end that they had with Braden Willis. And so it's not just Gibson, but what does Andrew Anthony give you? We've heard from a bunch of those wide receivers that Andrew Anthony, the way he gets off the football, his speed, all of that, that, that guys can't stay in front of him. What does that look like? Gavin Freeman, what does he look like? Do we get to see not just Jaden Gibson, but Nick Anderson and J.J. Hester and L.V. Bunkley-Shelton names that were around the program last year, but due to injury or just falling down the depth chart? Like, What does that look like? Because outside of that, you're going to flip over and be like, does Oklahoma have a pass rush on the defensive side of the ball? The other thing that they lacked last year, because th- those are the two, I think, biggest concerns yeah. for me are who are going to catch passes outside of Stoops and Farouk. And can Oklahoma get to the passer? And I hope that we'll be able to at least get a glimpse into who those guys might be on Saturday. Real quick, Ryan, you mentioned Bunkley Shelton. If you go to practice, these little open 45, 40-minute 40 uh, open practice sessions that we have, and you watch the wide receivers go, okay, line up, guys, we're over here, we're doing this drill, ready, one, two, three, go. LV Bunkley Shelton has been among the first guys out, and I mean first, not Stoops. Uh, not Farouk. It's been a lot of LV Bunkley shot. Now those other guys have gotten number one reps or first reps or first snaps or however you want to term it. I'm talking about drills. Okay. Who's the first guy out there in the drill. He's been out there a lot. And that tells me that's an indicator. That's one of those indicators. How's he been practicing? How's he with the team? How's he, uh, you know, in terms of respect and leadership and stuff like that, he's really seemed to have stepped up at least uh, his place on the team, his spot on the roster, his seat in the room seems to have upgraded a little bit. So he might be someone worth watching as well. Yeah, the low-hanging fruit, I think, is obviously the the, the young hot shots. Jackson Arnold certainly included in that. Um, I'll talk about it more later with the open practice portion. We'll get into that, I think, a little bit in the second segment. But he has looked better as the spring has gone on. What does he actually look like in the stadium, crowds full, and, and all that? That's exciting. Of course, that, that's obvious. And then you'll lump into that, again, with the young hot shots, Peyton Bowen, P.J. Adebore, Maybe kind of include Saul McCullough in that a little bit. He's not a five-star incoming freshman, but just all the new guys. It's you know it, it's exciting to see what they look like, and then just in general, does the defense look any different? I don't know how much you're going to get from a spring game. It's always so hard to tell. The crowd never knows what to do with it either because every single time something happens, it's both good and bad for Oklahoma. Literally everything that happens in a game. There's not one play that happens that's good for offense and defense. So it's hard to know what to make of it as it goes, but. Just does it feel different? Does the physicality look different? Do they look faster? Things like that. So excited. Excited for the spring game. What do you guys think of the format? Have you guys looked at this? It makes uh, no sense. It's baffling. It's too much for me. It's too much. It's over my, my head. I'm too old to follow something thing. like that. Yeah, no chance. Um, to put me in a calculus class and I'll do about as well. Yeah, I, I think that here's my big takeaway from the spring game. Uh, scoring format it is locked in a hundred percent that it won't end 10 to 7 like florida's and florida <laughs> has been clowned universally for their spring game ending 10 to 7 uh i will not be keeping score i will not even be tempting to wrap my head around it it frankly doesn't matter but all it means is that if anyone for whatever reason is reading through spring game stuff they won't see 
takeaways from Oklahoma's spring game that finished ten to seven, like they did with the Gators. No, it ain't gonna. It's gonna be like forty-seven to forty-three or some weird number no, like that. No, it's gonna be like one hundred and twenty-five to one hundred and thirteen. It's going to be obscene on the scoreboard. If you haven't seen the format, I suggest you go just look at the Twitter on OU Football and whatnot. It's baffling. Offensive scoring is is mostly straightforward. It's the defensive scoring that really gets crazy because they get points for sacks and pass breakups. That's going to be fun, deciding what actually is a pass breakup because <laughs> we're two points. It's uh, The defense has got it. If the defense doesn't win, I think OU's got problems because the defense gets points for like anything. And the offense has to score. The only way the offense scores yeah. is if they score. The defense can score from like, like I said, the defense, gets points, for, the defense gets points for a score too. If the if the offense kicks a field goal, the defense gets a, gets points for that. What? I, yeah, I think my favorite part is that uh, if a punt happens, the offense is it two points for the offense and five yeah. points for the defense. So why not just make it three points for the defense? I said that exact thing. I was like, right. it's just the yeah. same. You're just netting three. You're doing some kind of weird, weird net system. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, you can tell that whoever came up with that. You can tell that Oklahoma to... has a defensive head coach because defense is you got to put bet the house on defense. If there's a line on this, put your money on defense. White, white team, <laughs> take the over. <laughs> gosh, gosh. <laughs> but anyway, that should be fun to see. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, on Another Saturday. fun one could be the running backs. Josh, the running backs could be fun oh, yeah. uh, to watch because there's been so many of them hurt. We know Javante Barnes isn't playing. Yesterday, Gavin Sawchuk was leading the room out there on the practice. Uh-huh. Um, so the two freshmen coming in, Boone or uh, uh, Hicks, I almost called him Caleb Boone, Caleb Hicks and uh, Dalen Smothers. Those two guys are coming in uh, with a lot to prove, right? And they both have that youthful, like, give me the ball, coach. I, I know I can do it. You know, don't worry about too many carries. Uh, we could see a lot of Tawi Walker, 2021 MVP Tawi Walker could get the ball a lot again this year. And he, you know, he's got a lot to prove. So, uh, we, Chapman McCown's been hurt yesterday at practice. I don't think, uh, Marcus Majors was a full participant. So I saw him stretching and doing that stuff, but, uh, you know, those are a bunch of young, able-bodied, fresh-legged guys who are going to really have something to prove to their coach, DeMarco Murray, as well as the fan base, and they want to see their name talked about on social media. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, you could be talking about a lot of guys breaking a lot of runs. Of course, I don't know how many points you get for breaking a 12-yard run or something like that. Nothing. Maybe that's take I away think, from the defense. I don't yeah. know. I think Venables just benches you. If you're a running back and you get an explosive play, I think Venables is just like you're done. Uh, what I'm looking forward to on that front, though, is that if it's if it's Smothers and Hicks that get a ton of the work, those are guys that you expect to see in the future. It's a little bit different. Like, no disrespect, but I guess I won't name names here, but token walk-ons when you had uh, uh, you know a weatherman going up against a, a walk-on who shares the name with the current defensive tackles coach um, or – not Bates, it was Hudson, whatever. Uh, when those two guys are going at it and they're the stars, you're like, okay, that's great. Neither of these guys are ever going to play meaningful snaps because they're they're just walk-on undersized running backs. If it's the two freshmen that are running out there, it might not factor into this season, but at least we'll know for in the future if those guys can be contributors, which I, I'm excited because that's a little bit different than just the typical – whoever the four string running back is shows out. Cause that's the person that's only getting yeah. huge uh, lion share of the carries. Cause they're not afraid if, the, if he gets dinged up going to the summer workouts or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's the interesting thing about spring is people want to project it to the fall. Don't project it to the fall. Just enjoy 
the contact, enjoy the physicality. I wrote a story yesterday about the new improved physicality of this team, how every position they talk about more being more physical, just enjoy the collisions, enjoy the pad popping, enjoy the, the trash talk. Uh, don't try to project these guys into next fall. Yeah, not, you know, it, that is a slippery slope. Um, every once in a while, there there's guys who, who break onto the scene in the spring game and really do some nice things, and that does translate. Um, I think of, like, Kendy Brooks in, in 2018. Wasn't really a household name at that point at all, and he came out and he kind of balled out in the spring game. Kind of like, okay, Kendy Brooks ended up being, obviously, one of the more underrated OU running backs of the last decade or so. Uh, obviously, we all remember two years ago, Caleb Williams kind of opening eyes like, okay, he might be ready now. And then he was ready now. Um, will we have something yeah. similar happen on Saturday? Maybe with Jackson Arnold. That Maybe. could happen. Um, hey, I, Baker Mayfield, his first scrimmage, what came out went 11 of 11. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't worry too much. Well, I'm fascinated because the spring game can go one of two ways for your new shiny quarterback. It can go like it did a couple years ago for Caleb Williams, or it can go like it did last Saturday for our friends down in Austin, where three quarterbacks played and Arch was clearly the worst. Like he noodle arm, no arm strength. He looked like the stage was too big and a half full, which is not like a knock. It's just, there's not a, a full college football Saturday pomp and circumstance, and and you had a guy wilt, and so uh, in the early Arnold v Manning Derby, Jackson Arnold has to go out there and look better than Arch did. I think, uh, yeah, not not for anything other than Twitter cred and, and fan bases yelling at each other. And that that was something that, that I was... would say about the Arch thing because there, there's both sides of it where people, you know, Texas fans are saying it's a spring game. People are overreacting to a spring game. I promise yeah. you, Jackson Arnold's going to look a lot better than that. I promise you he will. He's going to he's going to tear it up, I think. Yeah, that was that was rough to watch. Bad. I mean, if anything Arch comes out of that thing third string behind obviously Quinn Ewers and Malik Murphy the the other freshman. I mean, holy cow, that was a rough performance. Uh somebody posted every play on on Twitter on social media, they posted every play that of Arch Manning's. Not good. And you just kept waiting for him to do something. The only things that I saw was a like a four yard check down and a six yard out or something like that. It's like, oh, he's got he's got to get better. He'll get better coaching. He'll get better reps. Uh, he'll get more comfortable. He's still supposed to be in high school. Remember at this point, guys. Yeah, it's just the I I think what everyone was just waiting for is that one throw where it's like it doesn't even have to be complete. It's just yeah. one of those things where you're like. Oh, that's a throw that he can make, and like the out routes were underthrown and behind the receivers, and they were sliding in to try to catch them. And you're like, "Oh no, oh no!" That like timing being off, fine. Underthrowing an out route, no, not yeah. not what you need. What do you guys think about? I mean, another storyline, obviously. What are we? What's the expectations for the crowd? Because that's something that has been talked about a lot. You know, last year was obviously record setting. It was the most well attended spring game of any spring game in the country. Uh, this year, that bar is high. I think Ohio State already had 75,000 at theirs already in hand. So that's a high bar to try and beat. Last year, we talked about it many times. It was the perfect storm of things. But now we're here. You've had a, you know all the spring camp. What's your sense of the fan base's excitement? And what do we think the crowd's going to be? Because I, I don't really know what the crowd's going to be like. My question is, does anybody have Trace Adkins on speed dial? just in case you need a concert at halftime of the spring game, time. Uh, boost the crowd a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I, 
I'm not calling anybody out, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what we saw last year. Uh, the, the spring game record before last year was something like 40,000, if I remember right. So uh, if they hit 40,000, I think that would be a good number. If you hit 50, I think everything over that would be gravy. So I don't know. Um, there's there's not a lot to see. There's some players. You want to go out and see the players, but you've already seen the Venable spring enthusiasm. You've already spring, seen an entire season of Brent Venable, so now your expectations are set. Uh, there's no hate this year. I mean, the, the hate will never go away. Don't get me wrong, but there's yeah. no like immediate, let's show Lincoln Riley a thing or two. That's not hovering over the program anymore. And then everybody loves Kyler, but everybody really loves Baker. Let's be honest. Yeah, I think Brent's more likely to dial up a a older rock band than an older country star. I, I think it's, which it's I, I would be <laughs> I would be much more on board with than uh, again the, than the prior spring game musings. Yeah, I, that was so bad. By the way, I'm terrible. not sitting here saying that was awesome. That's that was terrible. bad. Uh, yeah, I, I'm expecting it to be exactly like what other typical spring game crowds were because, yeah, we talked about it a bunch. Last year, was I don't even think it was about Brent. It was about FU Lincoln. This this is Oklahoma. This is what we – all this stuff. Um, I don't even think it was really about Baker. I think that all of that helped, and none of that is working toward this crowd this year. So unless you're just really stoked to come out and see Jackson Arnold or, or something like that, which – um, I think that most people with spring games, stuff like that, they'll just be content to uh, pop that bad boy up on the ESPN Plus stream and call it a day. It is funny because like like Hoove referenced, you know, and OU fans did an amazing job last year, so I'm not here to dog on OU fans by any means. Uh, it's a spring game. It's a hard thing to people to come out and get excited for. But before last year, the record was not that high. So, like, we've done this revisionist history thing where, like, we just act like OU fans pack out the spring game all the time. and. We, they did it once. Like, we got to see it more times. And I, I was looking for the tweet. I couldn't find it, and I just did find it. So there was a tweet about Ohio State getting 75000 to their spring game, and Justin Harrington quote tweeted it and said, watch what you football fans do. Tune in, in all caps. I, is that, does that mean he's expecting a better number? Is the team expecting a better number? I mean, I don't I don't know. So we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah. Good question. Um, Has it been over Temporary your expectations. Uh, we don't know what the weather. I mean, as Josh talked about, it's sixty-something degrees. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Not raining, I don't think, is it? So not right now. hopefully it doesn't keep anybody away. Uh, Thunder's not playing, right? You got that going for you. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there's no there's no home playoff series again. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, if they hit, like I said, if they hit fifty thousand, I will be color me impressed. Of course, I said the same thing last year, uh, where we we t- I I set my expectation bar at about 50,000 and they blew it out of the water. So if they do that again, I will be twice blown out of the water. Yeah. I I think it just comes back to what's the draw this year. I I think the fan base is just fine with Dylan Gabriel. I think the fan base likes Brent Venables, but is not fine with how last year went is Jackson Arnold enough. Well, they've had really highly touted quarterbacks before Caleb Williams wasn't enough to draw out a huge crowd. Right. Mm. Um, Peyton Bowen, PJ DeBore. I just don't, excited people excited for them yes drawing out a huge crowd on us to work your saturday around no because we've only seen it once and and it had nothing to do with the product on the field tell you what to tie it back into the format uh conversation earlier missed opportunity to i said it many times dylan gabriel on one team jackson on another team that would have been awesome and i it's it's 
it's obvious why OU wouldn't want to do that because if Arnold outplays yeah. him and his team wins, now you got you got that pressure cooker going. But missed opportunity, missed opportunity. But we'll see. Looking forward to it on Saturday. Obviously, uh, we referenced it a couple of times. Kyler Murray is going to get a statue, um, so that'll finally officially happen. Not nearly the level of hoopla for as Baker's last year, and like Hoof said. Um, Baker's beloved. He's one of those beloved players of all time at OU. So it's hard to replicate that. Kyler played one year, not a fair comparison. Um, we're not talking about the players, just how much they, you know, the fans respond to them and whatnot. And nobody's, I have a hard time imagining anybody will ever match Baker um, with how beloved he is in Oklahoma. Um, but just some thoughts on the Kyler statue, uh, what it's going to look like and, and how cool of a moment it will be for him. He's going to be there, obviously. Um, what pose does he go with? And uh, what what are some Kyler Murray uh, memories when you look back in the in the rear view as you kind of reflect on his time uh, on Saturday? I look. Uh, I, I try to sometimes feel like this is a personal thing. I try to take my reporter hat off because you know you can make phone calls and you can like look into what the what the statue pose is going to be and the big reveal. And I kind of like being surprised, so I I try to stay away from. I try to stay uninformed if I can. Sure. Um, and plus it's Kyler's big moment. I don't want to, you know, catch a photo of it driving down I-35 around on the back of a trailer and, and post it. I'm not going to do that. Uh, even if I could, uh, shout out Nate, but, um, I, I got one pose for, for Kyler and it's that little, that little leap he does going into the end zone. First airborne statue. Uh, yeah. The air, I don't know how you make it like float. <laughs> Like, can they have like a repulsor lift or something on the bottom and just make it kind of yeah. hover there? Uh, I don't know. That's going to be tricky, but that's that's what I remember him for is the way that he just made the game look so easy. Everything he did, there were times where it looked like he was the only player on the field because it just came so naturally to him. We saw him in high school go whatever it was, 43-0 and as a high school starting quarterback. That didn't work at Texas A&M because as a true freshman, he didn't get the coaching he probably needed and all that kind of stuff. We know the story. Gets to Oklahoma, has to sit, has to sit again, finally gets that coaching, finally gets that opportunity, and the game, it was like he was back in high school again. It was just so easy for him. So uh, that one pose where he's kind of prancing into the end zone, uh, that would be my that would be my vote. Maybe they take some uh, pages from the Dirk Nowitzki statue that they've got in Dallas where they were able to artfully have him, you know, fading away where he's in the air while having the little platform thing that he's standing on. And it looks cool. Uh, So that's one way to do it. Uh, For me, funny enough, my lasting memory of Kyler does not come from his Heisman Trophy campaign. It comes from the year before the very famous game where Baker Mayfield perished for one whole drive. Uh, Baker was suspended for one series and it was like, okay, this will be cool. Everyone gets to get a little glimpse of the future. What's the Kyler Murray show look like. And I hope you didn't miss it because in like 10 seconds, he was what 60 yards down the field, took him two plays. And, uh, I remember being like, Kyler, enjoy this. Maybe maybe take four or five snaps to get the touchdown as opposed to just like, First play, you're inside the five, you step out of bounds, and then, and then touchdown. That, that's my uh, memory of Kyle, that he played the game at a different speed than anybody else in college football, and that, it, it, to your point, John, it felt so easy and casual that, okay, this was his big moment. How does he respond by almost breaking it open? Like, he almost just played one play in the suspension game because uh, he was so efficient offensively. 
Yeah, no, that was really like the perfect, like, okay, next year OU's going to be just fine because that guy's not normal. And I think that play, and I think of when the season opener uh, in 2018 is Florida Atlantic where he just ran around like Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl in real life, just just making everybody like they're not moving. Like, it, it he was unbelievable. And uh, I, I personally have a, have a special affinity for that 2018 season. I was in school at the time, and I covered Kyler when he played baseball. The, the years before where obviously he was still, he was a big deal. He was a star already. I'm not going to pretend he like he wasn't, but he wasn't anywhere near like when he, you know, started playing football as a starting quarterback. And so I feel like I covered him a long time. And uh, that 18 season was awesome. So many memories from it. And uh, for my money, that, that season is as good as any season in OU history. Um, if you're giving me one season of one quarterback to try and win a title, I'm having a hard time not taking Kyler Murray. He was so much better than everybody else out there. And that was the worst OU defense of all time, too. They gave it like 40-plus points to Kansas. And uh, they still went to the playoff that year because he was just absurd. So really fun year. It'll be fun to kind of relive it briefly. I'm sure they'll have a special video and stuff like that. OU always does a great job with that kind of stuff. So that'll be cool. That um, that season, Josh, their defense was so bad they had to fire their coordinator at Mid-year. midseason with the Heisman Trophy winner on offense. Think about that. I. I can't ever remember something like that happening before. And I want to take you back to the previous year, 2017, that Ryan referenced. That was 2017, so it was six years ago. What if, um, what if, uh, let's say, this year, uh, after this season, let's say Dylan Gabriel comes back and says, you know what, I'm going to play my sixth year. I'm coming back to OU. What does Jackson Arnold do? What does Michael Hawkins do? What do those guys that have committed do? You know what Kyler Murray did? Kyler Murray's like, you just gave Baker Mayfield an extra year of eligibility right. when you said you weren't going to. What about me? Fine. You know what? I'll stay here one more year and I'll be the backup. And he did. And he stayed for one year and, and he was the backup quarterback. If that was 2022 or 2023, would he have transferred? Maybe, probably. I mean, I'm not, I'm projecting today's standards mm-hmm. onto what we know about Kyler Murray in 2017, 2018. But the only thing we can we can project is that he probably would have transferred. Um, so you know, transfer portal good, transfer portal bad. Yeah, probably a little bit of both. It's uh, it says a lot about Kyler. It says a lot about how much he believed in himself, and it said a lot about the level of coaching that those guys were getting from Lincoln Riley as the quarterback coach. And he was pro- obviously promoted to head coach the year before, and and uh, he before that he was just the coordinator. Think about that, and he brings back Baker, and he brings back Kyler for 2017. I don't think Kyler was like uncomfortable in that situation, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely something that he didn't sit well with him. He loves Baker. Baker's his brother. He said that a million times. He embraces the pressure, but at the same time, it was like, that could have been my year. I could have had another year of NFL earning potential or won the Heisman in 17 or whatever. It is a fun alternate dimension to think, yeah, if Baker doesn't get that extra year and Kyler's the quarterback in 2017, what does it look like? Does it look any different? Because Baker was unbelievable that year. We all obviously know that, but Kyler was different. Kyler was was a different different dude. So fun, fun to think about. God, the defenses were so bad. Horrible. Like Horrible. any 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 other like top program should have won two national championships with yeah. uh, that. And instead, Oklahoma didn't even make an appearance. Literally, like that's not going to happen again because they're going to be in the SEC now, where 
It's going to be a lot harder to score 40 and 50 points a game, but at least you don't have to give up 40 and 50 points a game every week. Literally, And no Kyler Murray's are walking through that door. That's the other that's thing, it. too. He's a one of one. He really is. Uh, literally five NFL offensive linemen. And uh, obviously, CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Brown and just uh, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews. Just absurd. Grant Carcatero that, in his heyday. Just absurd. Absurd. That was a an elite Georgia defense in 2017. They shredded it, and, and the OU defense was so bad. Gosh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable time. But it'll be cool to celebrate Kyler a little bit. Um, like we said, you can't replicate the hoopla baker. You just can't for a, a million reasons. But it'll still be a, a cool thing, I would imagine, on uh, on Saturday. He'll get his his statue in, uh, in Heisman Park. Who will be the next one? Jackson Arnold one day? You never know. Uh, we'll see. But I think that concludes our spring game preview. Any other things with spring game? That you're looking forward to? We got most of it. Be a day. Uh, how good is the, how how improved is the defense? Are they more physical? I think that's something that everybody's going to be really have their binoculars tuned to. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll look forward to it on Saturday. We'll be there all day in Norman, like we've said. Kyler statue coverage, game coverage, all of it uh, on Saturday. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll take a time. I will come back. We did good to practice yesterday, so we'll wrap that up along with some uh, player interviews, some guys we hadn't heard yet from this spring. So we'll wrap that up a little bit. We'll talk about the guys with the portal and uh, the freshest commit for the 2024 class as well. We'll talk about that next right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The Spring Tune-Up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at TradePros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call TradePros. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two, wrapping up spring ball. Like we uh, just saying, we previewed the spring game a little bit, but there is still some spring practice to be done. We had practice yesterday. We were out there. Hoover and I were. Um, we also want to talk to some players afterwards as well. So wrap that up a little bit. Ryan, you weren't able to be there, uh, but we'll get your thoughts as well from afar. Who? Practice? Talking to players? What's What stuck out uh, from yesterday? Whether it's from uh, seeing the guys get out there and practice on the big field, which was kind of cool, to practice in the stadium, and then we talked to players afterward. We had a first yesterday, and that is our first interview with not a coach. Right. Our first interview with an analyst. We got special teams analyst, uh, Jay Nunez. So that was good. Um, asked him a lot of questions about special teams, and he was very, with his answers, it was very, you should have seen it. Um, actually, you can see it. It's at allsooners.com. Check it out. He explains that on game days, Joe John Finley coaches the, um, oh, crap, what, what, coach, what team does he coach now? Punt returns? 
Uh, DeMarco Murray coaches the kickoff returns. Uh, other guys, Bill Biedenboe, for instance, coaches the uh, point uh, point after protection or something like that. I can't remember. I can't remember all the breakdown just off the top of my head. But he would express his philosophy on coaching those guys up during the week, and then on game day, the coaching staff, the other ten, the full time coaches, do a great job with those guys at those positions. So we're talking about kicking. Um, punting, all that stuff. They're replacing a punter, obviously an All-American type punter. Uh, he said they're better at pooch punting now than they were last year. Uh, he said they had 10 touchbacks when they're trying those coffin corner kicks last year. This year, in practice at least, the pooch punting has been better, so they're pinning people deep, uh, giving the defense a little bit better, a little bit more room to work with, obviously, and a little bit better situation down by the goal line. Um, said Zach Schmidt is, uh, working on clutch kicks, working on big kicks. You know, we, we talked about it last year. He missed five, five field goals, six field goals. He said he kicked 66%, which wasn't good enough. Um, so that was really kind of an enlightening, uh, one of the more enlightening interviews I think that we've had so far this year is just getting to talk to the special teams coach and, uh, getting his perspective on all that. If you, you know, it's, it's funny that he mentioned the pooch kicks. If you guys remember last year, it drove me insane. Yeah. Michael Turk was not good at was not good at them. He's a very good punter. He stunk at those because whenever they would kick from the forty and kick it a touchback and net twenty yards, I wanted to yeah. spike my you know camera like every time all season long. It was so stupid. They kept doing it all year long. So that's good to hear because that Turk was trying to pin them down at the one, and you can't pin them down at the one. You don't you don't hit a golf shot right an approach to try to knock it into the cup or get it within one foot. You put it in a bucket. Right. And you hope to get it in, and then you one putt from there. Turk was trying to like be perfect, and he puts kicks the ball with such force that it when it hits the ground, it doesn't die, it doesn't check up, it continues forward. That actually was one of the topics of one of the weirder like post game press conference exchanges. Uh, I don't remember who was asked yeah. about it, uh, but uh, yeah, sure. basically the question was asked like it looks like you continually are trying to just put it right at the one, and Brent Minimals didn't really want to get into it. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it was something they weren't very good at last year. So in, interesting to see um, how that changes just real quick. Again, I wasn't there. The thing that stuck out to me, though, was the Bothroyd interview. Not anything that Bothroyd said, but right there at the end as I was watching that, um, when he was just kind of given the open-ended, who else is kind of uh, standing out, stuff like that. He was talking about how Trace Ford, once he's been back in practice, he, he said he made like, 10 plays and had four sacks just the other day and that him getting off the football is mm. has been really good. Even if Trace Ford's only like a third down usage for this Oklahoma team because of his injuries, things like that. It's been like what a decade where the conversation around this defense is they can't get off the field on third down. You throw one guy in there like a Trace Ford that can maybe get you a couple of sacks and suddenly that conversation feels a whole lot different. You know, uh, the famous saying Maya Angelou said, uh, they, they won't remember what you say, but they remember how you make them feel, right? So that's that's what I take from some of these interviews is not necessarily what the guys say, but how they project themselves. And so uh, I'll just tell you real, real quick one on Caleb Schaefer. Turn the camera on. I was the first one. I was dead center. He looks at me, he looks around, and he looks at me and I turn the camera on and he goes, okay, who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> so... I thought that was interesting. And then when uh, when Jaden Gibson's interview was over, he you know we turn off the cameras and he immediately puts his hand out and starts shaking hands, shaking hands, shaking. He starts and then he goes around over here and he starts shaking everybody's hand. And there was like ten or twelve of us. He shook all our hands, and then he walked around behind the group of reporters that he had just interviewed with and shook all our hands. 
He went over to another interview and said, this is the this first time I've been interviewed like this. I got to shake all y'all's hands. I got to, it's good to meet y'all. And he shook every hand. There was probably, what is there on a normal game or a normal practice, like 25 of us. Yeah. He shook everybody's hand and looked them in the eye and said, thanks for coming. Appreciate y'all. It's like, what? So that neither one of those has ever happened to me before. Who wants to go first? And thank you for coming. Yeah, he he shook my hand. I wasn't in the scrum. Felt kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but I was like, you're welcome. I didn't ask yeah. anything because I wasn't over there. But you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know the uh, the practice w- was was a little different because, you know, usually the practices are at the practice fields and they were in the big stadium. I can't say I've ever been at an OU practice in the in the big field. Obviously, they do it. But I, I, I don't think I have. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Um yeah. I liked it. It was easy to get around and things like much easier yeah. than the practice field. Um, so that was cool. And like I said earlier, Jackson Arnold, to me, no BS, looked better every time. Every time out, every week we go out, usually on Monday or Tuesday, so like quite literally a week apart each time. And every time he looked more and more comfortable, his throws were on the money more and more. Yesterday was really windy. Didn't really matter. Not that they were throwing like crazy deep or anything, but he was cutting right through it. Perfect throws like every time. I watched him throw maybe 15 balls. It was not one was not on the money. I mean, the whole – so he just looks sharper and sharper and sharper each time, which is exciting, I think, for, for OU fans, certainly. Um, yeah. yeah. Yesterday was super windy. Like, yeah. at one point, we were talking to Jaden Gibson, and, like, the wind came, and we all went like this. Like, blue – like, blew us literally, like, almost over. It was like a 50-mile-an-hour a gust of wind. Uh, swirls in that stadium. These are things that I think about now because I have a microphone. So you might hear the right. wind on some of those recordings, but um, Jackson Arnold, boy, that's why they call it practice because he just gets better and better and better. And you're right. He has gotten better every time that he, that we've seen him every time that he's been out there. So that's something that's got to be encouraging is it's more comfortable to him. It's more like we talked about Kyler. Everything's coming easier to him now. He's still having to think his way through a lot of things, but yeah, he's, uh, he's looking good. Uh, I was impressed with the linebackers again, again, maybe the, th- they have more linebacker coaches than any any team in the country. They've got Brent Venables, right. they've got Ted Roof, and they've got James Skowski, and all of them are in there getting their nose in with those guys, just yelling and screaming and holding dummies and throwing dummies at guys, and they got those big old rolling donuts that they tackle. That's If you ever get to go to an OU practice, watch the linebackers. It is strict entertainment. It's hard not to get sucked into linebackers. It really is, because especially because yeah. Venables is just – he's over there being him, and it's like – you. Yeah. 10 minutes ago by like, okay, I got to get some other positions. It's yes. easy. It's easy to get stuck. In. I probably shot 300 photos of Brent Venables yesterday. He's got his hands on guys. He's got right. that little grit in his teeth. It's yeah, like, well, league, stop, stop do, giving me so many opportunities to take photos. Doing the, uh, like yelling at guys with a whistle in his mouth thing. Which yeah. is always fun. Spit flying out. Um, that reminds me something that we didn't talk about in the spring game preview segment. So sorry to not keep this nice and buttoned up. We knew from last year, it was almost the unfair advantage for the defense that Brett Venables was standing right over every play and then giving the coaching points on the field during the play, things like that with Beanboat being the offense head coach and Bates being the defense head coach. Do we think we see Levy come down from the press box and do a similar thing for the offense on the field? Or do you think that he steps up in and stays in the press box and just calls all those plays in from, from upstairs on Saturday? I will, yeah, I, I think it's going to be more of a dry run where they call plays from upstairs. I was going to say, yesterday, during practice, Levy and Roof were in the box. So that might be a little bit of a of a hint hint there. Uh, I will say, too, one other thing uh, from practice yesterday. Um, got to talk to Jaden Rowe a little bit. 
and I asked him, he got asked a bunch of stuff. He was, he was very good. Um, and we talked to him about, uh, some of the other corners and the way his face lit up when I asked him about Kendall Dolby, excited to see this guy because, you know, you know, I don't want to say he's overlooked or forgotten. I mean, he's a, he's a Juco guy who came in, but that guy is going to play and, and be a big impact. And so excited to see him because yeah, the way his face, he smiled immediately when I said his name and he was like, yeah, he, he hits people. I think he called him a hitter like three times. So that's exciting. And so uh, we'll look forward to that. He said the same, uh, kind of a similar about Josiah Wagner too, who is by all accounts had a great spring ball as well. So exciting time. I told you guys, uh, when I talked to Kendall Dolby in January, not January, uh, December, I think it was, I think it was December, might've been late November, uh, talking to Kendall Dolby and just looking at his film, the dude is absolutely fearless. Mm-hmm. Uh, his reaction time is instantaneous. So that's someone that, as we'll get into here in a minute, it's someone that is absolutely in the rotation, if not in the starting lineup. Yeah, we'll feed, that feeds right into the, the portals here. So we had a couple of portals, um, which not totally unexpected, a little weird at the timing, but not really. I mean, the, the, the portal window opened on the 15th, and then it closes on the 30th. So you have 15 days to get, get yourself in there in this, in this spring window. Um, obviously, a lot of teams have already played their spring game. There was a lot of spring games last, uh, last weekend. Um, there's a lot this weekend too, but OU's on a little bit of the later end of the spectrum. So a couple of guys, Corey Robertson, D tackle, and Jaden Davis, longtime corner who's been around forever, um, also entered the portal. So they both hit the transfer portal. Again, the window's open. Spring ball's not over, so it feels a little weird, but not that weird. Um, so a couple of losses here on the defense. Now these are guys that are at positions of of pretty good depth, and uh, probably that's why they made the decisions that they made. They kind of saw the writing on the wall that they may not really be in the you know the forefront of the rotation but what do we think about uh this for for these guys and and uh how big of a blow is it for Oklahoma and and what does this do for the the depth and all that all that good stuff yeah first of all uh there's going to be more okay yeah, uh, probably after the spring game I think guys are still competing still trying to figure out where they sit and they'll talk to the coaches and I think that's what you saw with Corey and and Jaden is, you saw them probably at some point in the past few weeks talk to the coaches, say, hey, coach, where am I at? What is my long-term projection? Am I going to play? Uh, probably not. Let's get you, let's see if we can get you in the portal quickly and find you a place to play. I'll, I'll speak up for you. I think there was a, a mutual kind of parting of the ways for both those guys. Uh, Corey, um, you remember when his house got destroyed in uh, Feb- February, early March, whenever that was? Mm. Uh, tornado came, and so I, I I jump in and I start. I'm I'm writing that story and I'm looking at you know what he did in 2017, 2019, 2020, 2021, and I'm like, wait a minute, how come they didn't enter his 2022 stuff? How come his his 2022 games have not been put into this database? He didn't play in 2022 at all, yeah, which is shocking to me. I was like, wait a minute, he did. He was like a guy. He was like a front line kind of rotation along with you know Josh Ellison and and uh, you know. Oh shoot! Who am I thinking of? Uh, defensive tackle, eighty-eight. Jordan Kelly. Why does my brain stop working like yeah, this? Jordan guy? Kelly. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so, so there's a handful of guys that he was in the rotation with for two or three years, as well as Isaiah Coe and guys like that. And you, you know, you're waiting for one of those guys to elevate themselves and kind of explode and have that uh, that kind of uh, take off that career takeoff and none of those guys did. And now you're seeing dudes jump into the portal. Ellison did. And now 
obviously Corey Robertson. So not a huge surprise there. Kind of halfway expected that one. The Jaden Davis one surprises me a little bit only because he was a starter in the opening on opening day. He was the opening day starter three years in a row. So at some point he got the message probably during spring football that he wasn't going to be the opening day starter or that things were not looking up in his direction. So at some point he probably said final year, I can go back to Florida. He's from Fort Lauderdale. There's some speculation that he might end up at, at the university of Florida. If not at the university of Miami, if not, then probably South Florida, we would be reunited with his fellow classmate, uh, Jeremiah Cradell, mm-hmm. who's now a coach at South Florida. So any, anything could happen, but uh, there's, there's some chances for him to go back to his home state. A little surprised that he left, not surprised at the timing, because if you think about it, guys, you're going into your final week of spring practice. What do you have to gain if you know you're not going to be on the two deep? What do you have to gain if you're not, if you know you're not going to be starting? Only thing that, that could happen is you could get hurt, and then all of a sudden you're, you're in for a longer um, transition wherever you go. Yeah, or uh, on the flip side of that, it's like if Florida's already done their spring game and that's a spot you're looking at, just use this as an example, uh, Florida will be looking to fill their roster now. So waiting a week, that spot might be gone if, if that's just one instance. Uh, the, the Davis thing to me was like the biggest indication that like everyone loves their roster in the spring. So there, there's not a whole lot of this position group's been bad or anything like that. So I, I feel like I do a lot of picking through, okay, how much of this is like just hype coach speak? How much of this is no people are really happy? We heard so much about the secondary. Well, if a guy that couldn't hold down their starting job year over year over year has finally thrown their hands up and said, I've been passed up what we think by enough of these guys that I, I need to, to find a new spot. I, I think that's the best sign yet that what Britt Vittable said about that secondary, how Jay Valai, how Brandon Hall feel about that secondary is filtering through that we're going to see some new bodies back there, which is a good thing with how that secondary has been the last four or five years. Yeah. And especially um, with guys like we talked about him earlier, Kendall Dolby, Kendall Dolby's coming in from junior college, taking that job or, or Jaden Rowe or somebody is coming in and taking that job. So um, that's, uh, that's the way college football works now. Yeah. Both guys are at positions that are clogged up. I mean, the D tackles, you obviously Coe's there. They brought in Jacob Lacey. They moved Jonah Laulu inside. You have Jordan Kelly who's been there forever. I mean, that, that that's four guys right there that probably are above Corey Robertson in the in the pecking order right now. And it's not like either of these guys are young. I mean, it's not like some young guy biding their time. They're they're veteran players. And, then, yeah, same goes for Jaden Davis because Woody is Woody. We know he's number one. But then you have Dolby in. Uh, Gentry Williams is somebody that I think they would like to probably work in there a lot more. Like who said, Jane Rowe probably fits into that mix. Josiah Wagner's had a great camp. I mean, you just there's a lot of options, and when you're a veteran guy, you probably don't want to chance it as much. You're kind of thinking, okay, if uh, I, I don't want to roll the die, I want to feel a little better about my situation. So, uh, makes sense for both those guys. And like who said, won't be the last. There'll be more coming up here probably pretty soon. The portal is still open for another eleven days, so uh, probably more to come. Yeah, Jordan Kelly, it's not you, it's me. You know, I'm a, I'm a union guy. You know, I love my union guys. So it's not you. It's me. Uh, <laughs> the way my brain stops working sometimes. He's been around. He's been around a while, uh, Jordan Kelly. Um, He's earned my respect, and I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> to be fair, we roll we roll through like 90 names a year, and then it with the portal it goes. True. 
Very true. I'm still, the numbers are still throwing me out. Some of these number changes I'm still not used to. Um, yeah. It'll take the C. I need games. I need games to see it to, to start to sink in. Um, I asked you one yesterday. I said, who's that number 30? Said, Dummy. That's <laughs> Trace Ford. Trace Ford Wait a minute, yeah. what? <laughs> well, it's, it's throwing me off because he's 30 and Bothroyd's 80. So I have to. Just a beat, just a beat of like, okay, wait, four to yeah. two, Bothroyd's eight. Um, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge every time. All right, um, did get a commit as well. Um, so some a couple of guys leaving the portal. You also made a commit over the week that'll make uh, OU fans feel feel nice about things. Kind of an interesting player here. So his name's KJ Daniels. He is a five ten one fifty. Is what he looks at on two four seven wide receiver in the twenty four class. He's not rated. He doesn't have any stars or anything. So he's not rated in any uh, metric or anything to go off of over there in Louisiana. He does have some offers. Um, nobody huge. No blue bloods. Cincinnati, Houston, Louisiana Tech, Texas Tech, and Tulane. And then obviously OU, who he committed to uh, earlier this week. Interesting player. If you watch the tape, clearly has a lot of athleticism. He's a burner. He's very fast. His, uh, a lot of his highlights were just flat out running away from people. He did make some tough contested catches, but above all, he's speedy. So we'll see how he fits into things. But, you know, interesting interesting get here because, like I said, not highly sought after, doesn't have a lot of huge you know uh, offers, doesn't even have a rating from 247. He is a three-star from Rivals, I think. Um, interesting player, interesting player. Yeah, Rivals, uh, Rivals has him as a three-star. Um he got offered by Texas Tech last September. Okay. And who was the wide receivers coach at Texas Tech at the time? Emmett Jones. Emmett Jones comes to Oklahoma and he has to convince Brent Venables. Yes, I offered him at Texas Tech. Yes, I think he's good enough to play here. Yes, I realize he doesn't have a 24-7 sports or on three or ESPN recruiting profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't have any stars. He doesn't have any ratings. He's very underrated. Uh, there's an, I'm trying to think, has there been any other 5'10", 150 receivers who have blazing speed, who were not rated coming out of high school, who did well at Oklahoma? Yeah, maybe Marquise Brown might be one. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of comparison there with this guy's elite speed. He's a 10-4 guy. He's a legit track 10-4, 100-meter guy. Um, he's also a classic slot receiver type player. Uh, there's a lot of talk that Oklahoma's getting ready to get commitments from a couple of big-bodied outside six three, six four, six five guys on the on the perimeter. So this is your guy that's going to come in and play the slot, going to move around a little bit, catch passes over the middle, going to do some bubble action and stuff like that. Okay, so there's a there's a there's a pretty good feeling out there that this kid's underrated. That when uh, you know when KJ Daniels gets his uh, gets a little more out, gets his name out there a little bit more and people understand that he's committed to Oklahoma and there's a reason he's committed to Oklahoma. You're going to see his 24 seven profile ESPN profile, his on three profile. Everything's going to be, Oh yeah, no, we, we missed him. So let's get, let's start him out with a three-star rating and see where he goes from there. So I I think that's going to, you're going to see a correction in the market, so to speak, when it comes to his ratings. Yeah. It's what makes it so interesting. It's like, if you put him, up against a guy like a Brian Wesco, who's uncommitted, but we know Oklahoma heavily pursuing. Like those are about as different wide receivers as you could get if you're just building mm-hmm. height, weight, all that stuff. So it'd be really interesting to see how Emmett Jones, because with with Levy, it felt like 
at UCF at Ole Miss, it was very much a cookie cutter, height, weight, whatever. And then last year, trying to sift through that, that, that's what made that so interesting. You've got a new wide receiver coach, one that'll probably have a little bit more control over the recruiting board than an, than an interim guy. Uh, kind of interesting to track. For, for this one, though, he's the burner, but I, I think that this is the tale as old as time. Where is he from? Louisiana. Yep. So, Oklahoma fans, congratulations. You have between now and December to hope that LSU doesn't offer him. Mm-hmm. And they probably uh, will. I haven't, ta- haven't talked to him, but that that's the score in that state. If LSU wants you, you play at LSU if you're from Louisiana. Yeah, and they probably will. Uh, just if not, just if nothing else, because Oklahoma, he just committed to Oklahoma. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. That's a- he loves him some Emmett Jones, though. That's one thing yep. Oklahoma has that, that uh, LSU doesn't is Emmett Jones. It's true. It's true. He has that, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, who've offered him a long time ago at Tech, so that they've had a report for a while. So we'll see how that shakes out. Interesting player, though. Excited to see uh, how that progresses. And like who said, if that profile gets a little uh, a little juicier over time. All right, we'll go ahead and take a timeout. We'll come back, hit some other sports in the last segment. Basketball made a transfer commit, finally. They added somebody. They also hired a coach. So lots of news there. We'll wrap up the weekends uh, for baseball and softball and a natty is in Norman. We'll talk about that as well next, right here on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Episode 183. Hit some other sports here. We'll send you on your way into your spring game weekend in the great state of Oklahoma. All right, men's basketball finally making some moves. Um, took a while. It just was all negative since the season ended. It was nothing but people leaving and leaving and leaving. Coaches, players, whatever. They made some additions, which is a welcome sight for OU fans. Armin Gates, new assistant coach, comes aboard. He was at Oregon last year. He worked with Porter at Loyola in the past, so there's an obvious connection there. He's also coached at Florida and Northwestern, TCU, Kent State, and Western Kentucky. So he's kind of been around the uh, the block a little bit. Uh, he was at Northwestern when they first made the tournament for the first time ever in 2017. Kind of cool little feather in his cap there. So we'll see uh, what kind of role he brings. Obviously, really hard to gauge these assistant coaches in in hoops because it's not like football where it's like they get a position or something. Um, So we'll see how uh, he fits into the fold. And then just as we were starting to record, they added a transfer player for the first time. Javian McCollum from Siena comes aboard. Now, he's a guard. I know you fans are probably thinking we need bigs for the love of God, but he is a good guard. Um, only 6'1", 170, but last year for Siena, pretty good numbers. Uh, 31 minutes per game, started 25 games for him. He was their leading scorer at just under 16 points. He can shoot a little bit, uh, just under 50% from the field, uh, or from, from on twos, I should say. Um, and he was about 36% from three. So, solid pickup here, looks like on paper. Backcourt duo with Milo Zuzan, some, some things to like there. 
Um, but we make these uh, ads uh, for OU Hoops. Obviously, the McCollum is very fresh. It just happened a little bit ago. But uh, gut, gut reaction, I guess, to these. Gut, uh, gut reaction. Yeah, I don't know much about JV and McCollum. 16 points a game at Siena. Uh, you take that with a grain of salt. Um, he was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. So there are players in the portal. Basketball is a little different. There are players in the portal in basketball who can come in and transform your program. You can get a Max Acemas, for instance, from Oral Roberts. Um, if he, if someone like that's in the portal, like he is this year, um, who can score you 25 points a game on any level of basketball. He's just a, a gifted scorer. Uh, some guys more of a team player, more fit into a system. So, uh, we'll have to wait and see where McCollum fits in Porter Moser's system. The, um, the hiring of Armand Gates is interesting to me because he's coached for some pretty good coaches, good head coaches. He was also at Nebraska. He was with Dana Altman in Oregon. Uh, he, he knows his way around the basketball floor. He knows, and he's worked with Porter before, and he's worked with Ryan Humphrey before. So he's got a lot of going for him just in terms of what he knows, who he knows, uh, what he can expect working for on this staff. Um, and then, you know, his time uh, at schools like Oregon and, and Nebraska maybe show um, – you know, that, that whole mid-major thing of living in a small town and coaching for a small school and all that doesn't necessarily apply when you get to a place like Oklahoma. So uh, maybe he's got some uh, – maybe he's been prepared for that kind of quote-unquote step up, if you will. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is he's worked with Moser before, and they've had a revolving door at one of those assistant spots at least. Dildy's really the only guy that has stayed through the whole thing. Uh. David Patrick – yeah, he took a head coaching job, but again, it was Sacramento State. It's not like it was a godfather offer. Um, KT Turner went to Kentucky, and then one year later, he was at UT Arlington. So all the stuff about you can't turn down Kentucky, well, he left Kentucky to work at UT Arlington the next year. So to build any kind of culture, stuff like that, they've got to find stability on staff first before uh, you can start doing some other stuff. So that's important. Uh, we'll call him coming from Siena. I think Oklahoma fans will look to a solid performance against Florida State and Ole Miss in the ESPN Events Invitational that shows, okay, maybe uh -huh. he can translate. Uh, Grant Shurfield played at a much higher level of basketball two seasons ago and couldn't cut it night in, night out in the Big 12. I'm not going to bank on another undersized guard being able to make that adjustment from Siena to the Big 12. Uh, so I, I don't think he'll have much of an impact as far as 20-point score or anything like that, but beggars can't be choosers. This program needs bodies, and they need people who view themselves as scorers because that's not what Milo Suzan really was last year. He can develop into that, but he was more of a great distributor, but as far as getting you know 15 shots up a game, I, th that would be a huge step for Uzan. So someone to fill that void, yeah, there have been plenty of people that take that step up, and he's got two years of eligibility. I'm just not banking on him being much of a – game breaker for the Sooners. They're putting together a group of five roster to, to go play in the big 12. Yeah, no, it's a good point, uh, Ryan, because yeah, the numbers look pretty good and the, the tape looks pretty good, but the big 12 is just different um, than, than that level. And, you know, last year at this time, I probably, you know, said a lot of the same things about Joe Bama seal and Grant Sherfield and all these other guys they've added over the last couple of years that it's like, Oh, look at that. They've, you know, some athleticism can shoot a little, blah, 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 and then it just doesn't translate to the Big 12 because the Big 12 is just a meat grinder. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Also, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, could you Yeah, could you say the same thing about 
uh, Moja Gibson and Elijah Harkless, guys who came in from mid-major type programs, uh, had a minimal impact at Oklahoma, uh, and then left to go to other uh, group of five type programs. Yeah, yeah, North Texas ain't Siena. Right. Would would just be like it this is another step up from even like Harkless is maybe the best version of that because he was coming from a JUCO, but he had right. the size and physicality. Like I'm looking at another undersized guard. You had Emoja Gibson who came in from North Texas and couldn't find consistency. Sherfield came in from Nevada, couldn't find consistency. So now you're gonna I don't want to put too many expectations on McCollum coming in from Siena to come in and be a a 18 point a night guy that like the OU offense needs to, to anchor around. You know what I mean? And Harkless built his game around defense. Anyway, he, he wasn't relying on scoring. He, he took the points when they came to him, but he wasn't a guy who said, I got to go out and get 16 a night. You know, all, all I know is, you know, uh, watching Austin Reeves ball out in the NBA playoffs over the weekend that the, uh, the Andy Bernard, I wish we knew we were in the good times before we left them two years ago, <laughs> Austin Reeves, Brady Manick, Davion Harmon, Amoja Gibson, Elijah Harkless. That was our starting five. That sounds incredible right now. Incredible. Uh, would kill to, to cover that right now. Because, um, yeah, it's uh, it's bleak. It's bleak. They made the tournament and won a game in the tournament, and everybody was kind of like, eh. Man, we didn't know what we had. <laughs> we did not know what we had. Uh, uh, yeah, when everyone was criticizing Kruger for, like, the offense in the last four minutes just becoming the, the Austin Reeves show, little did we know, like, yeah. three short years later, LeBron would be waving everyone off. LeBron James in the playoffs cleared out was like, nope, Reeves has got the ball, his ISO possession, let's all go back and play defense. He scored, like, 12 in a row in a road playoff game to win in the NBA. That happened. He's performing the best of any former OU player right now. Sorry, Ryan, with Trey Young. It's not close. At the moment. It's the not moment. close. At the moment. I would trade everything to have Austin Reeves <laughs> running the Hawks right now. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. And then other, just, you know, to, to kind of add to this entire point and to wrap it up, Bijan Cortez, Wichita State, Benjamin Schroeder, George Washington, Joe Bamisil, VCU. Those aren't power five teams. So, I mean, it, it, it lets you know that the quality of the roster just hasn't been there. Now, we don't know where Jalen Hill is going yet. I would imagine he'll end up at a power five, but I don't know. I don't know. Jacob Rose. I doubt, Hill, I doubt Jalen Hill's going to leave the conference, frankly. Yeah, me too. Me too. He's got, yeah, he's got a big 12 written all over him, quite frankly. And those other teams know him, know him so well, obviously also. Um, shifting over to softball, weird weekend for them because they went to Oxford, Ohio for two games on a Saturday that were both run rules and they have to come back. Like That seems like, was that really worth the bang for your buck? Um, I know weather obviously was a was a big part of the influencing that, but that was just kind of a funny funny trip um, for for that team. Uh, Ryan, as always, lean on you. Your account. Anything to take away from from this at all? I mean, they just spanked a couple teams that they're better than. Seems like. Yeah, yeah. The biggest thing is uh, for me <clears throat> next year at the Big Twelve, adding uh, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati. Uh, those bye weeks in the Big 12 play are going to disappear, and that's why you have random weird yeah. weekends like this. Like a, a week or two ago, OSU had to play a doubleheader with Incarnate Word because it's hard to find those games. So that's my first takeaway is you don't have to do this next year probably. But um, they didn't kind of get that revolving door of pitchers that we've seen thrown at them, and I don't think they're going to get that this weekend in, in Waco because Baylor can throw Orm and probably feel pretty good about that. So it felt like a more normal weekend, and the offense looked more normal. The biggest thing for me 
Sydney Sanders got her second home run of the year, and she played a lot better uh, at the play. And Alita Torres also got a home run. So maybe that could be a, a weird way of it was a weird weekend. One of the games got scrapped because of weather and all that stuff. But if you went in and it was a confidence builder after uh, an odd kind of five or six games with pitcher roulette, and if you can get Sanders and Torres feeling any little bit better heading into Waco, then I, I think Oklahoma will take that. Yeah, no complaints on uh, on OU softball this week. Uh, last week, ten one, and what was it, thirteen to one against Louisville and Miami. Uh, probably a good thing they didn't play that third game. If they're beating the two best teams in that group, ten to one and thirteen to one, who knows what that score would have been? Uh, but then you follow that up, and you've got the WPF draft. Yeah. Ryan. Holy cow, Sooners populating that thing, including the number one pick in the draft with Alex Storacco. This is why she comes to Oklahoma from a place like Michigan. You know, getting taking that next step, taking her game, that one more push, that little extra coaching, that little extra whatever it is, competition. You get to come to Oklahoma and look around and see the, the, the standard, literally the standard for softball, what it looks like. You get to not only see what it looks like, you get to live it. So uh, for her to do that, to leave Michigan, Michigan people are probably going, why the hell would you leave? I mean, I know Oklahoma, but why would you leave Michigan? Well, this is why. She's the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah, she was number one pick. Haley Lee also taken by the Oklahoma City Spark. So let me just see if they sign on at the end of this year. I would imagine Straco's going to sign on. Um, talking with Tina Floyd, the owner GM, I've been interested of how does the draft process work? Because the season's going on right now. Players can't sign until after their eligibility is gone. Are you able to even like hit up the players and say, are you interested in professional softball, stuff like that? And and basically, um, Tina Floyd, she had said, that's about it. That's about all you can do is reach out and be like, would you potentially be interested? Yes, no. And then from there, it then shuts back down to your professional league. So, um, And that's why I think that you saw some of the weirdness. I know a lot of people may have looked at that and go, Grace Lyons, why, why was she not taken in the first round? Uh, I think she was taking a, a late round by the Texas Smoke. Um, we saw a blast in the past on the OU softball front just this week. Mackenzie Donahue, who's at Tennessee, she was doing like an Instagram live thing, and she was like, I don't care to play professional softball. Whatever my collegiate career is done, I'm good. I'm done. I'm dusted. I'm moving on. Um, so th- that's not something that every single player is just looking to pursue, just like you know the NFL we're so used to. So I, I keep that in mind. Uh, but also on May 8th, there's the Athletes Unlimited draft. That's the other league that's running. So it'll be interesting to see how those players get viewed differently if not. But you'd have to imagine that uh, if Storaco went number one overall, first off, she's had an excellent year. But also, she's probably said, yeah, I probably have some interest in, in uh, playing in this league if, if that was kind of your pick at number one overall. Yeah, you got to think the, the, the salary structure is not going to be something that a um... – over the course of however many three months is that what long how long the season is it's at 40 games yeah yeah they're going to pay you enough to live for the entire year or you know Mm. this isn't this isn't nba money this isn't nfl money this isn't major league baseball money so um i could see where girls would be saying at some point you know what i'm good i've got my degree from ou i'm gonna go start my career right Right. Decisions to be made there. So we'll see how that goes. I got to imagine revenge on the mind, right? This weekend. That's the only team that beat him is Baylor. So probably some, 100%. probably some run rules uh, on the way there and uh, at the scene of the crime and in, in uh, Waco. All right. Um, over in baseball, it's bad. It's bad right now. Um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of positive uh, things to spin at the moment. 
Um, I mean, the Texas Tech series over the weekend, Norman, was competitive. Um, obviously, they lost the first game in extra innings, lost on Saturday 9-5, to and they, they run-rolled Texas Tech actually on Sunday, um, which just kind of shows you the – the you know up and down nature of the season that they've had that they could run roll a team as good as Texas Tech a legit Omaha contender and Omaha just you know whatever the word I'm looking for here is they're used to being there they're there regularly um, but the first two games didn't go as they wanted and then they had Bedlam last night in Stillwater gave 19 runs to the Pokes the pitching is just not performing um, they can score runs this team can hit and score runs they have speed they play pretty good defense. But the pitching just overall, it's just not where it needs to be. And you just flat out cannot win if your pitching is not slowing teams down. I mean, you look at all these losses. I mean, for Oklahoma recently, I mean, they scored seven runs in a loss, five runs in a loss. Last night, eight runs in a loss. These are numbers, six runs in a loss. Just like scanning the – these are numbers that are usually going to be good enough to get you wins. And they're just not because they can't keep anybody under wraps right now. So it's not going well. There's still some season left here, but we are – now past the point, you know, people were like trying to do the thing of this is around the time last year where they took off. We're past that point now. At this point last year, they were starting to really rev it up. I actually looked last night um, on this same day. Last night was game 38. Game 38 last year, they beat Kansas in Lawrence 24 to 4. So that shows you what they were doing at this time last year. They were starting to rev it up. And uh, it hasn't happened yet. There's still some time, but you're running out of time quickly. Um, so they got a lot of work to do to even get onto the bubble right now. There's still some season left, but not great. The The question is becomes, how much can they try to salvage any sort of momentum on the recruiting trail? That way it's like, hey, this season's not the repeat season, but if they go get some some better showings, what can Skip kind of do with that to, to get some pitching in next right. year that can help that offense out? Yeah, you hope you can keep that because, I mean, you still have a lot of momentum, like don donors and stuff like that. They have new facilities on the way. The SEC move will help. Um, but right now, if you're if you're a pessimist OU fan, what you're saying right now is 2021 was a really rough year. The first half of last year was really rough. Then they got very hot, and obviously we know what they did. And now this year is kind of back to being really rough. So you're feeling right now what you're what you're fearful of if you're an OU baseball fan right now and the word that every OU player doesn't want to hear and every OU fan doesn't want to hear is that was last year a fluke. Was that was that run a fluke? That's the scary feeling right now. Um, there's still a lot of talent on that team. Like I said, they can score runs. They can really hit. Um, and, and they got speed everywhere. There's exciting players on this team, but uh, they got to figure out the pitching side of it. Obviously, you can't be giving up 19 runs to Oklahoma State. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying. So we'll see what they do. doesn't get any easier. They go to Austin this weekend. Texas is in the top 15. Might be more uh, more rough times or a potential season-changing weekend. That could happen at any time. Baseball's weird that way. So we'll see what happens uh, in Austin. Who didn't seem like he had anything you wanted to add? Who do you have anything? No. <laughs> I got nothing on baseball. You need to rev them up, man. This is where you come in to rev them up for the home stretch. Podcast is recording. Uh, John Hoover has nothing to say about baseball. Play that back in the locker room. Uh, wrapping up real quick here. Last thing. Um Got to give a little bit of time to women's gym. They win the natty again. Um, this is six out of nine. Six out of nine. That's that's the dumbest stat ever to win six out of nine in anything. Because um, 2020 didn't happen. Farewell might have been seven out of ten if uh, 2020 had occurred. 
but it didn't happen. They won over the weekend, and, um, you know, that program is just an absolute machine, deserves all the credit in the world. Um, I mean, what can you say, guys? I mean, that, that, that program is just absolutely unbelievable. K.J. Kimler has built a monster that's uh, hard to see it ever slowing down. Six, uh, six out of nine, and I think they had two runner-ups in that span. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so, yeah, that's not bad. Um, yeah, KJ is uh, an amazing coach, and the the standard that she set, the the athletes that she recruits, and then the way she develops talent uh, and builds um, young athletes into champions is is nothing short of remarkable. Just for you know, we're we're not experts on gymnastics. I'm not going to sit here and portray that we are, but just watch the semifinals and watch the national championship, and you'll see somebody like Olivia Troutman, who's a fifth year senior, who was medically um, recommended that she give up gymnastics and you really should retire and your body's all beat up. What does she do in the championships? She rolls two nine point nine fives, like. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna show y'all how to do this. You know, she she's extreme eight time uh, All American. Uh, she's extremely underrated. We talk about Maggie Nichols, and we talk about uh, you know, there's there's so many. There's just such a long list of OU gymnasts. She's one of those ones that's just gonna be underrated kind of forever, I think. And uh, she's a two time, three time champion. No, two time champion. I can't remember. I think three. So, uh, what a way to finish your career. Well, and, and KJ Kindler's doing this too in a time where the sport has seen a little bit of flux because of name, image, and likeness. That means that the Olympians, that basically if you make the Olympics, you're almost kind of disqualifying yourself from college gymnastics because of the endorsement opportunity, stuff like that. They come back in, like most notable, like SUNY Lee at Auburn. Well, that hasn't slowed Oklahoma down the last two years at all, right? The right. fact that there sh- there's a little bit more competition, just a little bit as far as a couple more gymnasts that can come in and kind of change things that I just think that shows you it's not just the recruiting, but what you said, who the development part of the, how the gymnasts continue to get better and better under KJ Kindler at Oklahoma. It's a, it's fun to watch when you can watch just an elite coach set up shop like that and continue to, to have almost this assembly line of just superstar after superstar. One of the one of the things that needs to be noted about this too is that ESPN enjoyed their highest. They put it on ABC. Okay, uh, here's here's something for you: the men's thing, the men's gymnastic championship, which the scoring is different. It's a little bit jacked up, if you ask me. There's more events. It's it's harder to harder to keep up with. But the men's gymnastics was on NCAA.com, and you need a membership. You need to sign up. Yeah. To watch it. The women's was on ABC. All you got to do is flip in Tulsa Channel 8, and there you got women's gymnastics. That shows you where the sport has uh, kind of diverged and how the women's gym, women's game has blown up. It's bigger than it, it's, it's ever been, and ESPN enjoyed a record 1.02 million viewers for that thing. So very impressive. Yeah, pretty cool. Women's sports are kind of having a moment right now in, in general because uh, the women's tournament in basketball was the biggest year ever, and WWS gets bigger every year, so – pretty cool and you know just my last thought and and we'll say bye too it's it's important to note like they get beat like they lose in the right they lost this year in the regular season but they continue to win the title like there's something to be said for the fact that they just step up in the natty every year with three other it's four teams going head to head to head and they find a way to win it seemingly every year when it's not like it's just 
it's not only a situation where it's like they're just so much better than everybody that it's not even like a competition. Like they do occasionally lose, but when the, the chips are down, they they win every you know when it when it matters most they win every time, which is absurd. And uh, it's it's yeah. Kendler and Gasso one A one B for best coach on campus. It's not, yeah. it's not even the women's team. I saw a tweet yesterday. They've started thirty nine and one each of the last three years. <laughs> they've won thirty nine out of their forty first forty games each year. They're jockeying. They're jockeying. Gasso will win another one here in June, and then they'll be like, okay, we're back to <laughs> six each, and they just keep going back and forth, just trading trading titles. All right, I think that's it for us. We'll be back on Saturday, post-game show uh, at the uh, stadium after the spring game. So we're bringing that back on Saturday. So I hope you'll tune in uh, either Saturday night or Sunday morning whenever uh, that show gets up. Who knows how long it'll take to get through everything. Um, but watch us recap the spring game live from the stadium. Not live. Well, kind of. I don't know what. Does that count as live? I don't know. Uh, from the stadium. We'll be there, and we'll wrap it all up for you, our full immediate thoughts on the day's events uh, on Saturday. So we'll see you then. Again, you can catch that show either Saturday night or Sunday morning, whenever uh, it gets up and best works for you, on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sinners podcast. Also post on our website, allsinners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can watch all the shows as well, including the post-game show, on Drew's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. All right, we'll see you on Saturday from the stadium. That's it for now. Brian Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll see you on Saturday. <laughs>